What's going on? Happy 2017. I have not seen most of you. Uh, I have been on a crazy travel streak here. So Suki and I, as a lot of you know, went to Portland over the new year. Um, Just kind of random, but yes, we went to Portland. And then the day I got back, I flew to Omaha, and then the next day I flew to Chicago, and then the next day I flew to New York, and then the next day I flew home to San Francisco. So I've been traveling like nobody's business, but it is very, very good to be home. I can't think of any other place that I'd rather be than right here. And uh, I love new beginnings. I love fresh starts. You know, like, there's those people out there that buy old motorcycles and cars and stuff, and they fix them up, and they restore them back to new. No, no, no. Like, I want to, like, throw my car away and buy the new one, and that's, like, the new journey, right? Like, I am the, the new beginnings type thing, and I feel like I love the beginning of every new year because there's this start of the year thing that I do every time, which is like, okay, God, like, it's a new year. What do you want to do? You know, and it feels kind of like a kid in a candy shop moment. Like, I know it's going to be good because he's so good. And so I'm really just looking forward, like, okay, like, what are we going after this year? What's this year going to be all about? And as you start to pray and as you start to interact with the Lord and dialogue, then he starts to unveil and reveal what what things are going to be like and expectations of the heart that I can anchor around and stuff. And I just love the beginning of the year. So... Uh, I feel like corporately this is the beginning of a new year for us. I'm super excited about where we're going. I feel like individually, if you haven't gone through a process where you've just dialogued with God about what your new year is about, do that. It's like, it's such a joyous process when you're partnered with somebody like him and you get to do a life with him. So I invite you into that, into my kind of annual ritual. Um, And uh, as far as these sermons going, we're still going through the book of Matthew. Yeah, we, ki- we, <laughs> we kicked it off last year at the beginning of last year, and I was like, we're going to get this through this thing in a year. We're in chapter 11, so at this pace, we probably won't get it through it this year, um, but it, uh, it doesn't matter. It's been good, and it's going to continue to be good. So turn to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to dive in. We're going to continue through the scripture. I heard a lot of physical flipping. I like that. You don't hear a lot of Bible pages uh, these days anymore. All right, Matthew chapter 11, verse 16. So, so uh, this is Jesus speaking. He says, To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you, and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge, and you didn't mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking... And they said, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking. And they said, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, They would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sidon, it would have have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. At the time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, 
because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you are pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except for the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and I am humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The word of the Lord. All right, verse 16. Let's start to unpack what we got here. So there's this first part of the, the verse or the first part of the chapter that we're reading here that talks about to what can I compare this generation? And he talks about this interesting situation where there's children sitting in the marketplace and there's some children that are playing a flute and they're waiting for some kind of response. And there's other, ch- there's other children that are s- saying a dirge, singing a dirge. A dirge is a funeral song. So you've got two different things going on here. You've got some children that are calling for a response that looks like, hey, I'm playing a flute. Will you dance and will you have fun and will you spin around? And then you have other children that are singing a funeral song and they're wondering what the response will be uh, as far as will, will, will the, the hearers then enter into a place of mourning. And so he's talking about comparing a generation, but the comparison that he's talking about in terms of the generation that he's really trying to highlight here is what is the reception of that generation to the move of God that they've been given in their time? That's the specific thing that Jesus is concerned with in this particular chapter. And I think that, as a starting point, is just an interesting thing. If you think about your life and you think about all the different things that you can be concerned with with your life, what comes to the top of the list? Or what is the stuff that you most often think about? Is it like how well you're doing at your job? Or is it how good your friendships are? Or is it how good your relationship with the Lord is in whatever that means to you? Is it relationship with your spouse, financial security? There could be a million things put in that slot. When Jesus is concerned about the generation that's ahead of, in, in front of him, there's one criteria that he's most interested in analyzing them against. And it's this. It's when you experience the move of God that's right in your midst, what is the reception that you have for that move? The interesting part that we'll get into in a minute is that he compares a generation and then he compares cities. You know, I think my, immediately, my immediate default is a personal comparison. What do you compare you against? What, what, what would I liken you to? And there's this personal criteria that goes along with it. And I think that, that, that we'll talk a ton about that. But I do want to call out the first thing that I noticed when I read this passage was that he was comparing cities and regions and communities that did life together to other ones. And he even talks about the judgment that, that, that we'll receive at some point. And it seems like in this that there's going to be kind of this like communal type aspect to the judgment in the way that Jesus talks about it for good and for bad. So that's really interesting. Straight out of the gates to me, I'm like, wow, okay, so there's, there's something Jesus is trying to highlight in terms of one of the most important things about my life has to be when God has a move, when God's speaking to me, when something happens where there's a revelation of God, what, what's the reception on my end? And then there's another understanding that like how we do this, this dynamic that plays out, 
is partially at least a very communal dynamic. And so those are the first two observations that we get out of this. And so there's this thing where he's like comparing these generations and he says, okay, there's the, the children that play the pipe and are expecting the dance and they don't get it. And then there's the children that are singing the funeral song and there's no mourning that comes with it. In other words, the appropriate response to the thing being presented is not had. It then says, he parallels it directly, and he says, For John came neither eating nor drinking. So he's speaking of John the Baptist, and we read a lot about this, but John the Baptist came with this message of repentance. You are, in a not, you are not in a good place with God right now. We need to repent. We need to get serious about our lives. We need to set ourselves apart as holy and cover ourselves in sackcloth and ashes and have deep mourning. And then Jesus comes on the scene and his, and his, his message is, repent for the kingdom of God is here. Let's party. And the first thing he does is he goes to a, a wedding and he multiplies the wine. There's like a whole bunch of drunk people at this wedding and then he fills these vats with water and he makes more wine. Like, so different. John the Baptist is out in the wilderness eating locusts and wild honey, right? It's, like, painful out there, and it's, like, hard and all. And, like, Jesus shows up at his wedding is the first thing that he does. And he's, like, cruising around in the towns, and he's announcing the good news. Like, hey, have you told everybody? The good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. God has shown up. Like, his kingdom is coming, and you can expect it to be different. Both of them were expecting a response. And the thing that Jesus is making clear in this passage is neither of them got the response that was worthy of the message that they brought to these generations. And so I don't know, I don't know about you, but like, I think when I'm thinking through this, two things happen. First, I start in kind of a binary fashion. Am I open or am I closed? Am I, li- am, I li- am, the- am I the one where, like, God sends a message and it kind of bounces off my chest? Or am I the one where, like, everything that comes my way is received with open reception, right? And I go, oh, shoot, I hope it's not the former one, right? And then I, and then I think, as I meditate on it a little bit more, I think that's actually not how it plays out at all. I think it's actually much more dynamic than in that than an on-off switch. And I think what it is is it's like, in certain ways, I'm very open to God, and in other ways, I'm, I'm kind of closed to God. And I think it's more helpful to think about it like that as we start to navigate, like, what do you actually do with that realization? Because from the very start, he puts a ton of magnitude on this one criteria. Like, what happens when the move of God comes your way? Are you able to discern it? Are you able to step into it? Are you able to act, and are you able to move? Because all repentance means is you've received a message that's coming from God, and that message is received in a way that it changes the way you think. Right? Like, that's what it means. I've received this message from the Lord, and I'm acting now, and I'm thinking in a way that was different from when it came. In other words, it moved you. It moved you. And so from the very get-go, I think if this passage is about anything, it's about, is God able to move us? Is God able to speak to you in a way where it's received and your heart and your mind and your will are moldable to the thing that he's doing? Or does he come into your life in every different kind of way? 
right? He comes with the, the funeral song, and you're like, oh, you know, like, God's a joyous God. You know, it's, it's, it's kindness that leads to repentance. And then he comes with kindness, and you're like, oh, but he's probably not that good. Like, that's probably just what I want to think about him. So you're, you're not moved, or like, there's some excuse why that doesn't work either, right? And then he comes through a friend, and you're like, oh, but I know the sin that's in that friend's life. I know what's going on with them. And then he comes through your pastor. And you're, you know where I'm going with this, right? But it's like, <laughs> like how I didn't fill in that one. <laughs> I know where to stop. But it's like, you get this sense that what God's saying is like, I've come through so many different ways throughout history. Like, what's it going to take to move you? It's almost like God going, man, I'm doing the best I can here. I show up with the prophets. You kind of abuse them and reject their message. You do it again for more prophets. You do it with John the Baptist. I send my son, and you don't even receive from my son. Like, what else am I supposed to do here? And I think there's just something that's, like, great about entering into the new year of 2017 and just saying, like, man, if there's one thing that I nail this year, or if there's one thing that I ask the Spirit of God to make so true about my life, wouldn't it be that I have a, a soft soul towards the Lord? Wouldn't it be that I'm just like so movable to the things that he says? He comes with a, a mourning moment, and I go, yes, Lord, I would love to mourn with you. And he comes with a joyous moment, and he goes, yes, Lord, I'd love to have a joyous moment with you. Or he comes through this meeting, or he comes through that medium, and it's just like, we have the ability to discern what he's doing, and we have the softness of heart to be able to enter into the thing that he's doing. Man, I want that. Man, I want that. And so, let's go on and see what else. So then Jesus talks about this judgment that's coming to the towns, like I said, and there's this communal aspect to it. And he talks about these, these towns that some of them no longer exist because they've been under the judgment of God. And, and he says if those towns had been given the revelation that you've been given, they would have repented a long time ago. This is an incredible thing. I mean, think about what these towns were privileged to receive. You know, like, part of me starts out on that and goes like, man, that feels really harsh. And then the other part of it is there's like, there's a guy walking in their midst. Everybody who hears him speak goes, where does this guy get his wisdom? It is mind-blowing wisdom. And then he's healing the sick and raising the dead and casting out devils and he's doing all of this stuff. And there's still a rejection of him in that time. This is crazy. Like, it occurred to me when I was thinking about this passage that, you know, when you think about a punishment or a reward, usually a punishment or a reward only come in things where there's a great magnitude, there's a great... Um, gravity around that type of situation. In other words, you don't punish or reward greatly for small trivial stuff. Right? It's like, you tell your kid to take out the garbage, they take out the garbage. You don't come in and it's, oh, let me give you a hug and spin you around, right? It's like, that's not, that's not the right response to what just happened right there. Right? And so, like, in this sense, when we read about the judgment part of it, what we need to do is we need to put additional emphasis on whatever the criteria of that judgment is again 
because God is the perfectly just judge. Right? And so when you see him get serious and hardcore about something like this, and he goes like, no, this is real deal stuff. This is stuff that really matters. And when I put something in your camp, and then there's judgment on the other side of it, it's because there's seriousness about it, and because I've given you everything you need to succeed in that area. Right? And so he's like, he's like, I want you to understand how big of a deal this stuff is. And then he talks about it in this corporate accountability and this corporate judgment fashion. And this is one of those things that I think I'm starting to get more, um, more understanding around. Um, I think that, you know, I grew up in this country. There's a very individualistic thing that permeates the culture of this country. And I think it definitely influences the way that we all read the scriptures and the gospel, if, if, that, if that lives in you. It certainly exists in me. And so oftentimes, I come and I approach these things with a very individualistic approach. Whereas if you come from other cultures and you hear like, you know, there's like a corporate thing going on here, it's just kind of the default understanding. Like, of course, that's how we do life. We do life as a community. But we do so, life so separate here. But you know what I realized is that in some ways we do in our thinking, and in some ways we just don't in our reality. This last week when I was traveling all around the country, um, I was working with my, my work team, and we were doing a road show to kick off 2017. And as we did it, it was like we were working really hard. But this cool thing happened because we were all committed to the same cause. Like we were going around region to region to kick off the year, and we all had a, stated inter a staked interest in, in making this thing succeed. And what happened naturally as we spent more time together and we went after this shared objective was that our natural giftings and our propensity to make the thing good in different areas started to surface. And this really cool teamwork thing started to happen. You know, where like the creative person made the deck that we were using just beautiful and like had the presentation presented in this certain light. And then the inspirational person provided this like life and this like energy to the room. And then there was like the detailed person that made sure that all of the stuff that needed to be talked about was talked about and that the time was kept. And you get where I'm going with this. There's this like, I think we've lost the beauty of team and community in a lot of ways. You know, like when the body, when the, when the Bible talks about the body of Christ, it talks about all of these different kinds of components coming together and, and the whole operating as it should because the different components operate as they're supposed to operate. And I think in community, we've kind of lost that thing. I think in community, we've kind of lost the thing that says, like, you do you all the way because that's what we need you to do. And I'm going to do me all the way because that's what you need me to do for you. And as we come together and we, we do this thing towards this shared objective of life in the Spirit, love for Jesus, passion for Him, transformation of the world, revival in our city, like all of these shared objectives that we have, and as we rally our lives around those things, these natural things are going to come up. The person with finance is going to contribute finances. The person that can preach is going to preach. The person that can heal the sick is going to heal the sick. The person that can prophesy is going to offer that to the community. And next thing you know, you have this thriving thing that's going on where the revelation of God is everywhere in this community because the components are coming together where Jesus can truly look at it and go like, wow, I can now reward you as a community and I can judge you as a community because you're operating so much more as a whole than you are as individuals. 
That's freaking awesome. That is so much better than individual life. You know, like, I honestly think that sometimes we're, we're struggling in a certain area of life because our neighbor has that gift right there, and we just don't know how to do community. And so this, you know, like, I, I kind of love this aspect of the passage, and I kind of hate it. Like, in one sense, I kind of want to, like, command my own destiny, and on the other sense, I think there's just this realization that you just don't. Like, if you try to do it alone, you just don't. You know, you, you, that's the thing about God's ways. It's like, you do it God's way, or you, you kind of suffer for it. And in this way, God's like, hey, the best way is as this joint thing. And, and the reason why I'm judging you as a community is because all of your hardness of heart, it contributes to each other's hardness of heart. Like, your hardness of heart is feeding off of theirs, and theirs is feeding off of yours, and next thing you know, it's like everybody's shut down to the move of God because of what's going on in this community. And he even says, he goes into his hometown, and he's like, I can barely do any miracles in my hometown. And it's the whole town. The whole town suffers. But it's because they know his past. They know that he grew up, and they know that he was the guy who was bad at dodgeball or, like, you know, whatever it is. Like, he's just a—he was, was a kid, right? Like, he was the kid who broke my toy and then asked for forgiveness, you know? <laughs> but there's this communal thing that I think I'm being challenged to address and I would invite us into. There's this communal thing that I long for it to express itself in our, in, in our community that we have here so much more. And there's this communal thing that I would just challenge for you is to, like, don't try to be anyone else. Like, yeah. do you really well. Yeah. Understand what you're super good at, get really comfortable with it, and then provide that. You know, there's all these business books that talk about this thing that what people try to do is they try to round out their weaknesses. But the more powerful thing that you can do and the thing that you do as you mature as a leader is you find out what your strengths are, you know your lane, and you surround yourself with people that can fill in your strengths. No, I mean your strengths. Like, like you have yours, and then it's like filled around with strengths. You know? And, and man, like, maybe we wouldn't be so consumed with our own weaknesses if we understand what community is supposed to be about. Maybe they just don't matter as much. And maybe we can get before the Lord on Judgment Day and have the honor of standing there with the community, not just us, just me and Jesus, like I've always pictured it. Right? Isn't that how you always picture it? But what if it's a community coming together and standing before the Lord and him going like, you guys operated as one. Berkeley was better because of you. Berkeley knew my name because of what, the way you guys came together as a community. You operated as one, you get rewarded as one. Well done. Doesn't that sound amazing? That sounds so much better than me and just Jesus is going to be like, all right, let's look at your life, and like, here's your crown. Even if I do well, it's just so much better to win as a team, you know? 
let's keep going. Verse 25. At the time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. It's a really interesting thing here. Jesus talks about this part of God who enjoys, he's pleased to do this. And what he's doing is he's hiding things from the wise and the learned, the most important things in this particular case. And then he's revealing them to little children. And it's God's good pleasure to do this. And so like, what, what out of this can we pull that gives us the key to doing what just happened well? Like, right? He's, he's telling us who God is. And I love these types of statements. Don't miss this, right? This is like, this is Jesus saying like, this is who you are, Father. You're the type of individual that loves to hide things from the wise and the learned, and you love to reveal things to the little children. And so this is a moment, a statement about who the Father is. And so we've got to unpack it. What, what's behind that? Like, what about God loves to hide things from the wise and the learned? What about God is that he loves to unveil things to, to little children? What's he trying to get at there? Because in other areas, he says, hey, be wise as serpents. In the whole Proverbs, he says, seek after wisdom more than gold. Right? So clearly there's this thing where he's saying, like, I want you to be wise. But then there's this other thing where he says he hides things from the wise and the learned. What's going on there? The thing that's going on here is he wants you to amass wisdom. And wisdom, I would propose to you, is the correct application of knowledge. So you're faced with a situation. You see the various components that are going on. And you go, I know what to do with that. I know, I know how to operate within the revelation of understanding and knowledge. Like, this component is going on with this component and that component, and wisdom allows me to say, the right answer is this. Within this framework of knowledge, this is how you show up, and this is how you enter in, and this is how you make sense of it, right? Like, the classic example is, is Solomon when he's judging the two women that come to him with this, like, particular court case. I'm not going to revisit it, but, like, he basically does this very wise thing that gets him to the right answer, right? Like, complex situations face you, and you operate in a way where you're like, oh, no, this is exactly what we're supposed to do. That's wisdom. So he tells us to amass wisdom, but what we see here is that if you amass enough wisdom to the place where you start thinking that you're wise, you just failed. So it's like, go hard after wisdom. Amass a ton of it. And by the way, in James 1, it says... If you don't have wisdom, God will give it to you. And so there's this thing where it's like, God's offering wisdom to those who value it and who seek it. And so get wise, get super wise, but just don't ever think that you're wise. <laughs> right? Amass knowledge and understanding. Understand who he is. Understand his scriptures. Understand how things work. Understand all of this. But don't ever come into the place where you think you're learned where you think you're the person that's got that stuff down, that thinks you're the person that can enter into a situation and you, I'm, I'm wise. God's given me wisdom, so now I'm wise. So there's like this confidence shift that happens, right? This is like, 
Um, I'm, I'm picking up the guitar right now. And yeah, pretty cool, right? Um, it's hard. I don't know if it, it's hard. Like there's this thing that like you have to grit your way through the novice phase. And I feel horrible at this thing. Like, I feel like I have no rhythm. I'm trying to do counts with my instructor, you know, and like I'm all over the place. My strums suck and, you know, my fingers don't move that direction. There's like this very clear novice thing that's going on. So pretty much every time I pick up a guitar, I'm like, Holy Spirit. (laughs) I I desperately need your help right now because this ain't working for me. And that happens like pretty much every time I pick up a guitar. What's going to happen when I can Steve Yang it like this, right? But there's, there's this thing, like when you, when you realize you suck at something, then you're like all about it with God. And the question is like, how good can you get before you get self-good? You know what I'm saying? Like how good do you get before you're like, oh, I like, I've got this one. And that's what God's talking about here. That's what he's talking about here. He's like, get awesome at this stuff. But guess what? Relative to God, you will never be wise. I don't know what eternity looks like, so maybe I should never say never, but I'm pretty sure, right? And we'll just talk about this side of heaven. Relative to God, you will never be wise. So there's, no matter how much wisdom you amass, you probably shouldn't park yourself in the camp of being tremendously wise. There's got to be this humility thing like a child where you come to your father and you go like, you know, I'm in a situation right now where I'm, I'm done if you don't show up. If you don't provide the wisdom here, even though I carry a level of wisdom that you've given me, I'm done. And you enter into a situation where you're like, I know some stuff about your kingdom, but I don't know nearly everything. And so... What this, what this portion of Scripture is, is saying is make sure that you understand wherever you are that there's a big gap. <laughs> that you're not where, you need, you're not where you, you need to be in order to do your life well. In order to receive the message that God has for you in this next season, you're not where you need to be. So have your ears up. So have your discernment thing on. So have your dependency thing on. Have your humility like a little child of like, wow, you blew my mind in the last season as to what you can do. You gave me so much in the area of finances. Am I still praying in that area? Or do I feel pretty self, do I feel pretty like independent in that area? And I'm kind of like just hoarding the thing you gave me from last season. Or like every time you go to express your spiritual gifts in church, let's say, Are you like, oh Lord, if you don't show up, what good is this thing? Is that there, you know, because it's like, if that type of humility exists in you, everywhere you go and everywhere you look, there's going to be this thing, God, I need you. Everywhere. When you're going into a work meeting, do you got that one? Because God's leveled you up in the workplace enough that you're kind of like, no, I can crush this meeting. When you go into a one-on-one with a friend and you're wanting to bless them, do you go like, God, I desperately need you to like do this thing? I remember, I've told you guys this story before, but there was this time when I first started preaching and I had 
studied my material, and I'd read books, and I'd gotten all the way down, and there was this quick thought that shot through my head going into this sermon, like, dude, even if God didn't show up, I would kill this thing, because I'm so studied up on this thing. Yeah, and the oops part was not the thought through my head. The oops part was like, actually, I kind of think that's true. And I remember it. I remember it so well. And Suki and a couple of people that are mentoring went with me. Did you go to, you went with me with this one. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Like train wreck times infinity. It was so horrible. It was so horrible. I couldn't, I don't even remember like, anything that I studied. I didn't remember any of my points. It lasted like 15 minutes, and I was just like, I gotta shut this down. <laughs> it was so bad. And, I, and the worst part, people that I was mentoring were in the front row, so I'm like, did you just lose like all respect for me? The girl that I was dating was in the front row. I was like, oh my gosh, right? But it was so good for me. It was so good for me to be in a place where I felt 100% equipped, and I got totally humiliated. And it only took once. It only took one time. And then forevermore, every sermon, you'll see me up here. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord. Still to this day, every week, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord. Every week. Right? But the same thing happens with, like, our Bible reading. You know? Like, did you go to seminary, so now you know how to approach the Word? Or do you still come, and you're like... Spirit of God, you're the one that leads me and guides me into all truth. I need you more in this reading than I ever have before. Or you come into your quiet time kind of cavalier. It's like you've got your Pete's and you're sitting there with your scone or whatever, and you just go like, yeah, I think I'll flip through the Bible today. And like, you know, and then you get done with like six quiet times, and you're like, man, God hasn't spoken to me in like three weeks. Right? I mean, that totally happens. The moment my prayer life exploded was the moment that I got this realization where every time I come to the Lord, I'm like, I need God to find God. I need God to find God. That revelation alone will carry humanity so far. In fact, every person now that I meet who doesn't know Jesus, that's what I, that's what I tell them. I've walked with God a long time, and I've studied, and I've pushed in, and I've prayed, and I've whatever. I've done all of the stuff. And I've come up with this realization that, man, I desperately need God in order to find God. And all of these people in humanity seeking out, trying to find out who God is, doing it in their own effort, and you're never going to find God without God because there's a passage in here that says, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except for the Father, and no one knows the Father except for the Son and those that the, whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. There's a statement in here. It's like, you are not going to find God in your own hubris. You are not going to find God in your prideful mindset that thinks you can study enough, study every world religion, and come out the other side and know who God is. Like, that's crazy. There's this dependency thing that he's talking about here. There's this thing, this underlying humility thing that says, you want to know who God is? Do you want to end your life as one of those people that's like, I knew God so deeply, and God knew me so deeply. <clears throat> then you need to understand this humility statement. You need to understand this thing that it's like, you don't have a shot at fulfilling that vision for your life if you don't learn this humility statement that it's like, Jesus, 
Only you know the Father. You've given me the Spirit to lead and guide me into all truth. Will you take my hand? Will you soften my heart? In the areas where it's hard, will you soften it? In the areas where I can't say no and I need to say no in order to gain more of you, will you say no on my behalf and do something where it moves anyway? Like, all of these areas where we might say, like, oh, but at least in that area, I should be able to provide the strength. At least in this area, I should be able to say no, and if I can't say no, then I don't actually deserve God on the other side. Do you guys ever do that? I do that all the time. It's like, really? Like, even in that area, I need you? Okay. I can't say no to this thing that's a vice. Can you somehow make it disgusting to me? Have you ever prayed that? I prayed that. And it was like sickening to me in the next month. He's so good. He's so faithful. When you come to him with that kind of humility, he loves to provide grace to the humble. And he says at the end, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and I am humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Rest in the soul. Huh? Like, what is it? What does it mean that, like, rest in your soul? Your soul is, like, the deepest part of you. Your soul is your, your emotional tank. It's your, it's your mental capacity. It's your, it's like, your mind, your will, and your emotion, right? It's all of it. And you have peace, and you have rest in your mind. You have, like, peace and rest in your emotions. And he says, like, there is a yoke. Take upon my yoke, but don't worry. My yoke is easy and burden is light. The one that you'll carry without me, that one's really heavy and you'll feel really dragged down. You won't have abundant life there. Take upon the yoke that I have for you. It's a real yoke, and a yoke is a thing that ties you together with another person, right? The yoke is the wooden thing that would go and connect cattle to one another or oxen as they're plowing a field. And so one turns to the left, and you go left, and one turns to the right, and you go right. So he's like, hey, yoke yourself to me. Let's do life together. Let's connect in this way. Like, how about you bring the humility, and I bring the strength? We'll do that. That's what this yoke will be all about. And, and it'll be light for you. It'll be light for you because you don't need to be super strong. rest for the soul. Man, I want that. I had this um, conversation with an old friend uh, a couple weeks ago. It was totally one of those things where it's like, you know, you're just having a casual conversation and it's all innocuous and then all of a sudden God speaks to you and it just like hits you in a different way. And I was talking to this friend and I was, I was saying, hey, you know, how much longer do you think you'll be a pastor uh, at that church? I think you'll be there for a while kind of wasn't thinking about what I was asking. I was just asking. And the person goes, as long as God wants me to. And it wasn't like the religious version of that, right? Like, don't ask me anything because I'll just say, I'm trusting God, you know? <laughs> like, I don't even want to talk to you right now. <laughs> this one was like, as long as God wants. And there's such a purity about the way it was said that it struck me. And it left me thinking like, how many lives is that true for? Because that is such a beautiful thing. That's the yoke that Jesus is talking about. 
It's the life lived where it's like, whatever you want, God. And it feels so heavy, but then where you live it and you experience it, you're like, oh, it feels like freedom. Because you don't have to worry about figuring it out on yourself. You don't have to worry about being the wisest person in the world. You don't have to worry about whether you stay at your job or leave at your job, whether it's the right career move and it's going to make you CEO in 10 years that's like your goal. You don't have to worry about, is this the perfect saving strategy because whatever, X, Y, and Z, and if I give away this, is it not feeding my 401k and then I won't have enough money when I'm older and all that stuff, right? Like, you don't have to worry about that stuff. That's the yoke of your own wisdom, That's the yoke of having to be wise enough for you to do everything right. And he's saying, like, get that yoke off of you. That heavy yoke, that's the one that needs to be wise and learned in order to do well in this life. My yoke isn't like that at all. My yoke is whatever you want, God. That's the yoke. And then he does this, his superhuman stuff, right? Like, he provides you the wisdom, and it doesn't look like wisdom, probably, when you're doing it. You're like, man, I would not choose that. And he's like, yeah, you're not very wise. I am. (laughs) Right? I would not do that. Yeah, it's because you don't have understanding. I do. Like, go this way. I know better. I can see the future. Right? (laughs) I've talked to—I've experienced myself, and I've talked to a lot of people about career direction lately. I'll just say this, and then we'll close. Actually, worship team, can you kind of come up? For those who are in, like, the work world and doing the career direction thing, or even students and trying to figure out your future and all that stuff, I'd just say, be careful not, that you're, be careful not to pick up the yoke of wisdom and understanding. You know? Like, the whole thing where you're like, how long do I stay at this job before I make my jump over to this job? And then that one, I'll get promoted, and, you know, like, that thing. Or the, do I need to join a pre-IPO startup? Because then it'll go public, and I'll make millions, and then I can retire and go on the mission field and spend it for the gospel. You know, like, all of that stuff that we do, whether it looks like that or whether it's graduating and saying, like, am I sure this is the right major, and, like, what am I going to do after college? Like, if you've released yourself to the Lord, and you've said, God, I'm in. Like, I don't, I don't know what your plan is, but I know who you are, and I'm in. There is such a freedom that comes from that. And there's this cool thing that uh, Chris Valentin's always saying. He says, God doesn't have a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. And that as you navigate the plan or the purpose for your life, the purpose for your life, that it's much more like a GPS is than a tightrope. Right? Like on a tightrope, you make a wrong term and you fall and you're done. That's what usually life feels like for a lot of us. With a GPS, you make the wrong turn and what happens? Rerouting. Rerouting. You make another wrong term. Rerouting. Rerouting, right? Like, this works for me. Like, <laughs> I can sign up for this, right? If it's contingent upon me making every right move, that's not based on my own wisdom, it's based on my own understanding. So this dependency thing, this is the gift that I want to give to you in the power of the Spirit today to start the year. This is how we win, especially, I feel like, for this year, because we're going to go super deep in intimacy and connection with the Lord, and it's going to be awesome. 
but it's built on this foundation of humility, where in just practice, how many areas can you declare your dependence upon the Lord? How many areas can you do it? You're dating a relationship life. Oh, Lord. Whoo! I'm dependent there. Awesome. You nailed it. Like, keep going. Your work life, your friendships, your community, your spiritual giftings, whatever it is, like, oh, Lord, I'm dependent upon you there. Every quiet time of your life, Lord, I'm dependent. If you don't show up, this is going to be dry and horrible. I'm going to sit here bored. think I can't pray again. You can't pray, but he can pray through you really well. Right? Like, I loved the day that I realized my prayer life sucked because I couldn't do it. I was like, oh, Lord, give me a prayer life. Right? All right, that's enough. Let's stand. (laughs) All right. So we're going to have some glorious people up here. If you would like to get prayed for for anything, whether it's related to humility, whether it's related to a portion of your life where you've been carrying the burden of that area and you want to get rid of it forever, uh, come up and get prayer. Or if it's something totally unrelated to what we talked about uh, and you just want to invite God into some area of your life, uh, that's what the prayer team up here is for. So we've got tissues. We've got breath mints. We've got it all going on up here, including anointed prayer people. So come on up and get prayer. Uh, But let me pray to close us, and then we'll worship, and we'll do some prayer ministry, and then we'll get out of here. Lord, I thank you for the great news that we don't have to rely on our own wisdom. I thank you for the great news that we don't need to rely on our own understanding. God, thank you that your call is one of calling little children. God, that it's your great pleasure to resist the proud and give grace to the humble. It's your great pleasure, God, as we come to you and go like, wow, I just don't have strength in this area. I need you to say, I'm happy to give it. Now walk in it. And so, Lord, God, as we enter into this year, God, I pray that it'd be one where this community, everybody who's hearing this, God, whether it's on podcast or right now, God, that there'd be this amazing blessing of humility, this amazing freedom that comes from humility from understanding you're strong and your yoke is easy and your burden is light. God, and we long to know who you are and that comes only by your revelation. And so, Lord, thank you for the freedom of walking in your yoke. And God, I pray that there would just be this massive release of trust in you. There'd be this massive release of surrender where we've carried areas in our own wisdom and our own understanding. God, we thank you for life in you. It's the only way to live. We give you glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Come get prayer if you want it.